mothers have become heroes in their children's eyes. How it came to be is of no surprise. Years and years of working for their child's care and all the time the child doesn't know she's there. As the child grows older, the thought suddenly dawns, everything that's happened is because of their mom. For the mothers still hoping and the ones that are recognized, we wish you happy Mother's Day. May you always be God's prize. Isn't that good? Very good. Thank you, Joe. Now I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. That's where we're going to be mainly today. We'll, we'll kind of take a, uh, a journey through a couple of places. You know, I, I was doing some reading early this morning um, um, from a service that sends me topical things, and, and I read a couple of pages. Um, it, just, it just kind of does me well on a day when I'm so grateful that so many of you moms are here and sharing in, in Sunday school and church with us. But it just does us well, though, to begin to think about people who have a difficult time on Mother's Day. I have a dear friend who lost his mom this year. Mother's Day is a very different experience for him this year. I remember 16 years ago how it was for me in that regard. Um, uh, first Mother's Day without mom. I, I grew up in an environment in a little town where um, they made a big deal out of Mother's Day in church, and my mother... Um, was never one to want us to buy her flowers or a flower on Mother's Day, but but lots of the women in church wore flowers to church. And, of course, my mother um, uh, always had a, an abundant rose garden, so it was always her, she said, no, don't do that, we'll do something else. And she would make her own little kind of corsage thing out of um, out of the roses in the backyard. But what was always interesting to me, and I wonder how it always felt to her, that every year, year after year, do you remember the, the, the old um, uh, tradition, you'd wear a red rose if your mom was living and a white one if she wasn't? Who thought of that thing? That's kind of morbid. Do what? The Southern Baptist thought of it? Sound like Troy knows what I'm talking about, that's for sure. Well, what I remember with my mother, it, you know, everybody thinks their mom's the greatest mom ever, and of course mine was, but um, mom all of her life wore a white rose. All of her life. Her mom died when she was four. My mom would say her entire life, uh, she would say, um, well, I never had a mom, but... And she was mom to dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Sally, by the way, congratulations on your retirement. I read something about that this week. Congratulations about that. Um, how many years teaching? 32. 32. She taught third grade for 33 years. How many kids did she influence? How many kids have you influenced over that time? Even though you weren't their mom, you served as kind of a surrogate mom for them. And this was a lady who never knew her mother. Now, I will tell you this, and I've told you this at least once before, uh, there would be times when as a teenager I wasn't doing exactly as I should do, and my mom would always say something to me like, I never had a mom, but if I had one, I'd treat her better than you're treating me. <laughs> so she wasn't above a little bit of emotional manipulation as well, right? But I was reading this article this morning. It was talking about people who, for instance, have never been able to conceive. And how Mother's Day kind of messes with, with your mind on that. It talked about those um, 
Katie, thank you for that reminder of those who have just lost touch with children through some tragedy or some experience. Uh, it talked, frankly, about those who somewhere along the way made a bad decision and, and had an abortion and deal for the rest of their lives with the grief that they experienced from that decision. It's, it's kind of exacerbated on Mother's Day. Uh, others who, um, uh, I've read even a comment about a person who, the kind of person who um, always wanted children but never found the right mate and never married and had children. Um, so, uh, you know, you get to thinking about all of those different kinds of things. Those who have not only lost a mom, but somebody who may have lost a child over the years. It's a hard day on, on uh, uh, Mother's Day to think about those who have gone before. So, um, I say those things to just say I have an understanding of this. I pray for you, and we need to lock arms and pray for one another on a day of joy for so many of us and a day of, uh, for many, many of us, a bittersweet day of joy. And so, I, with that, um, hopefully wasn't putting a pall on the day. I just wanted to wish you a happy Mother's Day. And uh, uh, as you leave today and as you're around the church, hopefully you'll uh, put your arms around somebody that's been a, a mom or a surrogate mom to you and, and, uh, and wish them happy Mother's Day. Okay. Glad you chose to spend part of it here with us in Sunday school. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. The, the way I kind of want to begin this subject today, um, you know, for, for many of us who live in Oklahoma, uh, you, you uh, guys especially, we think a lot about sports. And I begin to think about, in terms of um, uh, the giving of spiritual gifts, I was reading an article uh, about Jameis Winston and, and about uh, some of the things he's kind of dealing with. And, uh, but he's also dealing with about 25 million new little problems. And uh, anyway, for those of you who don't know who that is, he just got a big contract from the Tampa Bay Bucks. But what if all 11 on the field, on a team at a particular time, all wanted to play quarterback? Now, I imagine with some teams, that's almost kind of true. Everybody kind of wants to play quarterback. Um, but if that were the case, then who's going to catch the ball? Who's going to run the ball? Uh, who's going to actually block for the guy who's throwing the ball or running the ball? Um, you know, um, uh, we heard a lot about Tom Brady this week and the little deflate thing that they're dealing with there. But Tom Brady would not be anything without, um, without the Patriots' front line. Okay? Isn't it interesting that we think, um, think that there's one position more important than the other, and yet all are so important. And the truth is that Paul teaches us in this 12th chapter of Corinthians is that um, there are all kinds of gifts to be used in the church, a variety. And we want to look at where they come from and kind of what our role is, our say-so is in this, and who has kind of the ultimate say-so in this, all right? Um, Bob, since you're back there, if, if I can get you to, I'm going to have you go ahead and read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 12, 
And then I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Okay. By the way, there's a card here from John Kimbrough thanking, thanking us for the prayers and phone calls on his, uh, on his behalf while he was coming back. And uh, John, God bless you. We're just glad you're here. Now, Corinth was a major city in ancient Greece. Um, Paul spent about 18 months or so there on his second missionary journey. If you want to know about that second missionary journey, see Mark. He knows all about it. He's, he's helping us study that on Tuesday morning. Um, uh, and he's got elaborate maps that I don't have. But um, uh, it's interesting. He writes back to them uh, in about A.D. 56, a really early book in the New Testament, while on his third missionary journey to address a bunch of problems and issues that had arisen since he was there planting the church and things that had come up during his absence. In particular, uh, one of the things he's dealing with, so the church's many problems seem to have had to all do with some kind of pride. Um, uh, these things went hand in hand with airs of some kind of spiritual, spiritual, uh, spiritual superiority. Uh, some in the church thought themselves to be superior because they identified with a particular leader. You can read about that in the first three or four chapters uh, you know, some would kind of claim to follow this one, and some claim to follow this one, and some would say, I just follow Jesus, right? And uh, so, But they kind of had a, a superiority complex over that kind of thing. Um, some thought that they were exempt from uh, kind of moral expectations. You can read about that in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Some thought themselves to be superior because of the food they ate or the foods that they refused to eat. Some thought that they were superior to other Christians, uh, so superior that they could kind of neglect the needs of other people because they were kind of super spiritual. Um, uh, and so when, when Paul comes to this issue of, of spiritual gifts, it's in this context of a lot of kind of cocky people that he's dealing with. And, um, and he begins to teach them about what is necessary within the church in the context of these gifts that, that, um, that Bob helped us kind of start uh, to write about. He's written about a variety of subjects, and now it, as we begin chapter 12, it, when he uses the word now, it's because he's going to shift subjects, shift topics, and now he's going to shift to talking about this issue of, of gifts of the Spirit. Now, first thing I want us to think about here, if Paul is writing from uh, the word of the Lord, if he's writing what God wants him to write, then according to verse 1, does, does God want you to know your place or your role in the kingdom and in the church? Do you catch this? He says, you know, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I don't want you to be ignorant, it's, it's said in some... In some um, translations. I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. And so if you're like I kind of was at one time in my life wondering, okay, did 
you know, was I hiding behind the door when spiritual gifts were passed out? All right. Uh, Lord, maybe I just didn't get any. Then uh, the Apostle Paul has a word for you here. He doesn't want you to be, and the Lord does not want you to be un, uninformed about that. He wants you to know what your spiritual gifts are so that you can put them to work. And the truth is here uh, that um, it's kind of a complicated and a pretty touchy subject, but it doesn't have to be so. Now, it's interesting, the word in verse 1, gifts, does not appear in the original language. It's interesting, as, um, as if you were taking the original, uh, reading it literally in the original language, he would just say, the Apostle Paul says, now about the spiritual. I don't want you to be uninformed. Well, in context, the word gifts seems to naturally apply here, but it's not in the original language here. Gifts is a pretty good insertion. Now, the, the issue is here then, where do you when do you receive a spiritual gift? How do you know about all that? And I, I want to make it as simple as I can to us as we think about it for a few minutes here this morning. Um, I'm curious if anybody in the room has a brand new baby in your family. They got a brand new baby in your family? Okay, you want to tell us about it, Sean? Would you congratulate Sean? Isn't that wonderful? Sean came the third day. He's got a lot to live up to, Sean. Uh, but a week ago, there's this wriggling little baby, right? My guess is, Sean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I already have. My guess is that you have bought that little boy gifts already. Okay? All right. What'd you get him? I rest my case. Okay, Stan? How much do you weigh? Oh, we need to pray for this little guy. Is, is he home? Or is he still in the hospital? Okay, okay. You keep us posted though, will you? Now, isn't it interesting though, the point that I'm trying to make here, isn't it interesting? Now, Louise, you got another one coming, right? When's, when's it? he or she do? Okay, all right. We've got our little tiny one, Silas, is, uh, he'll, be, um, he'll be one next weekend. And uh, he's got 97 teeth. How do they get all these teeth? Okay. Now, what I think is really interesting about this is for Sean Kane the third, or any of these little kids we're talking about, they get presents just for showing up. Am I right? Just because of you were born, people showered you with gifts. Can I tell you something? The same is true in a spiritual context. When you decided, when you decided to follow Jesus Christ, when you decided, I want to be a Christian, when you decided that I want to identify with Jesus and follow him for the rest of my life, when you became, and we'll use, this is not, the Southern Baptists didn't think of this, by the way. In John 3, Jesus said, when you are born again, sometimes we think the Southern Baptists came up with that. It actually comes from John 3, 3, okay? When you are born again, you are showered with gifts. Did you know that? 
Just like when you were born as a little wriggling baby, they gave gifts to you. You didn't know it. They gave them to your mom and dad. But when you were spiritually born, you received gifts as well. Now, the question is, um, a, kind of a couple of questions here. We're going to deal with the who and the what of that. But I want us to kind of understand that. Now, look at verse 2. He's going to call them out a little bit. He's going to put them a little bit in their place. What is true of the past of these people in Corinth to whom Paul is writing? Do what? They were pagans. What does that mean? Non-believers. In fact, uh, a different, uh, as my dad would say, a different breed of cat, a different kind of non-believer than you and I probably ever encountered in some ways because they were idolaters and that tempered the way they did life. Now, I want us to go to a kind of a, a Steve Blair, can I put you on the spot? Can you find the book, Habakkuk? It took me 15 minutes to find Habakkuk this morning. Um, uh, so I, I, I'll put you on a search there. Uh, Habakkuk 2.18. Now, it, it's interesting when Paul talks about them, or talks about these idols to whom they bowed the knee. Uh, you know that when you were pagans, it says, you were led astray by mute idols. However you were led, okay? Mute idols. What is he talking about here about mute idols? Can't see, hear, speak. Okay? Um, I, I find it intriguing, and, uh, and the prophet Habakkuk is going to talk about it a little bit here, about how, how a person could think they could, they could craft something with their own hands and then set it on the mantle and pray to it. Doesn't that seem ludicrous to you? It should. It should. Find it, Steve. Please read, uh, what is it, 2 8, 2 18? Miriam, you called it just right. Something they can't see, they can't talk, they can't really help you. Why would you pray to someone like something like that? Uh, in your in your Bibles, it's always going to mention foreign gods with a small g, and it's always going to mention God with a large g. Why? Because He is, and because they are not. Simple, simple as that. Okay. Now. He's going to invoke this as a means to remind them of what they have come from. Is that an important thing that I should do every once in a while? I think it really is. To, be, to remind myself at least. Now, I don't want you to think the Holy Spirit's going to constantly throw your old life up in your face because he won't. But I think occasionally I need to remember how far he's brought me. And he's making that um, that point here. Scott Clayton, can I put you on the spot? My, my good friend Scotty is here today. Uh, if you know Carol Alsop, this, this is her cute little brother right here. Um, uh, and Scotty comes and goes. Somebody's living in Edmond now. We're just happy. You, you, you got to tell the story you were telling me earlier today about W.C. Fields on his deathbed. Looking for a loophole. 
I hope you could hear part of that. W.C. Fields on his deathbeds reading the Bible, looking for a loophole. Well, you know, um, I need to be reminded of my past occasionally. Now, look at verse 3. Let's read it again. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, here is a litmus test. It's a two-part, two-sided test for whether or not you are spiritual. At least one of them, okay? So you can put the word spiritual in that line. This verse answers the question of who are spiritual people. I want us to look at a couple other verses that are going to kind of give us a little bit of indication of this too. Who would go to 1 John 4 and read verse 2 and 3? I say, oh, Karen, see your hand back there. That's great. And Romans 8, 9. Thank you, Cindy. Okay. Now, here's the question. Is God's Holy Spirit alive in you? That's a really important question for you to ask. And Paul is going to deal with it in terms of two things that would be true, at least one is not true and one is true, if the Holy Spirit's alive in you. He's going to say, do you see it here in verse 3? He's going to say, if you are saying Jesus is accursed, then probably not. Okay? More than probably, right? No one with the Spirit of God alive inside them would say Jesus is accursed. And consequently then, or conversely, uh, it is only by the Spirit of God alive inside the believer uh, that one can proclaim or acknowledge or confess that Jesus is Lord. So, if you find yourself in church today and we're singing some song that has as uh, tantamount in its, its, its uh, language, Jesus is Lord, you're, you're singing praises to God, then chances are you didn't think about that on your own. There's a spirit inside you. The spirit of God is alive and at work inside you causing you to, to breathe that confession. Now let's see where a couple of other writers are kind of consistent with this. First John 4, verse 2 and 3. Okay, so one of the things you got to know that we have to kind of deal with here is if you're acknowledging Jesus is Lord, it does not matter how many alphabet letters come after your name and your title, okay? Because the Holy Spirit is telling you and, and testifying to you that Jesus is Lord. Consequently and conversely, and I've, I've just got to hasten to say this, it doesn't matter how many letters follow your name as well, if you don't acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. In fact, John is going to say the spirit of Antichrist is at work here. Okay, now let's go, go on to, to another passage, Romans 8 verse 9. If you belong to Jesus, you possess His Spirit inside you. That ought to be a great promise for you. 
If you have acknowledged and belong to Jesus, then his spirit is a part of your life. He's living inside you. He's the one speaking to you to tell you, turn right, not left, turn left, not right. That's an Isaiah thought, okay? The spirit of God is alive and well in you. And so this spiritual litmus test is one that you have passed. I'll just leave you with this question before we go to the next section. Is God's Holy Spirit alive in you? I need to answer that question. Can you answer? Is His Holy Spirit alive in you? Okay. Now, let's move on because He's going to begin to talk about the manifestations of this Spirit alive in you. Let's go to verse 4. Somebody read us down through 11. Okay, I want you to look just for a second at verse 4. Sorry. Just look for a, just read through verse 4 again in your Bible and read through verse 11. And notice how kind of they bookend this paragraph. They say largely the same thing. Okay, verse 4 and verse 11 say a lot of the same thing. Okay, now the question I've got is... Who? Who gives the gift? Okay, the word is him, not me. Okay, and the word probably implied here is, um, um, when we get down to verse 11, one and the same spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit is kind of the, the larger answer to this. All right. Okay, so He gives all gifts, capital H, He, God, gives all gifts. God's Holy Spirit gives all of those gifts, okay? Now, it is at His discretion. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And if that's the case, okay, then I want to fill in two blanks for you here real quick. All are of the highest spiritual order. All gifts that He gives are of the highest spiritual order. He doesn't give any second-tier gifts. Can we catch that for just a minute? He doesn't give any second-class, second-tier gifts. So whatever gift that he bestows upon you is perfect for you and is wonderful. Bob? Mm-hmm. 
because somebody needs it, needs you to exercise it, and because he has literally entrusted you with it. I need to just, it's a great comment, Bob, and I think rather than being falsely modest at this point or falsely humble, I needed to say, Lord, I really don't get it, but thank you. Okay? So what you need to understand, what we need to understand here is that all gifts are of the highest spiritual order. And then secondly, none is more valuable than the other. None is more valuable than another. There's no second tier gifts and neither on the other side is there any superiority of gifts. Okay? Okay, so none... Uh, Look back at those two statements that I gave you here. All are of the highest spiritual order. None is more valuable than another. So, finish this statement, okay? Complete this statement. You ready? The gift of blank is the exception. Tricky. The gift of blank is the exception. What's the exception? There are no exceptions. Okay? i got to think about that for a minute because I think sometimes we think my gift may be second tier or his gift or her gift may be top tier and that's just stinking thinking. It's not what's taught in Scripture. Now, one of the things I've got, Bob, I'm going to hang on to your question just for a second. I'm not on much of a roll, but a little one. Uh, one of the things I think we've got to be really careful with, and, and, and I really don't know everybody's spiritual background in here. I know a lot of you. But, you know, there are some groups who, and in, in, sometimes when you watch TV or whatever, you kind of get the idea that, that this guy really is gifted. Or there's a particular class or type of gift that's given that you really want this one that's just not biblical. Are you with me here? Who calls the shots? Who gives the gift? Who makes the bestowment? Him. Uh, so you don't need to kind of, uh, you know, sit in your prayer closet over the next month and wring your hands over, God, I really want this gift. I really want this gift. I really want this. It's just not the thing to do. Okay. In fact, what I should be concerned about is finding what he has given me and then put it into practice. Okay? Now, look at verse 5. I want to read it again. Oh, Bob, you had a statement. I'm sorry. It has a tendency, in my life at least, okay, that's about all I've got to go on, is what I've observed him doing with me, is my gifting has shifted through periods of times in my life. A lot of that depending on the body of Christ with which I was working and what they needed, not what I needed or needed to do. Karen? Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. It is about him and only about him. Now look at verse 11 one more time in the context of what Bob and Karen are saying here. Look at verse 11 one more time. 
One and the same Spirit works all these things. But look at the rest of it. Distributing to each one individually just as who wills. He wills. Not me. Not me. Okay? Got it? Now, look at verse 5. Let's read it again. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Interestingly here, he... uh, I told you early on in verse 1, he did not, the word gift is only implied there. Um, The word gift is used in verse 4. Now he uses a different expression in verse 5 to talk about these manifestations. He uses the word, uh, in my Bible, he uses the word ministries. What is it in yours? Is it service? Kinds of service, okay. But again, just another term to talk about these, this gift or gifts that he's given, ministries. Now, in context, though, uh, it seems to me that one of the things that's being said here, at least implied, is that gifts of the Spirit are not for the one using the gift, but for the one receiving or benefiting. Okay? I want to think about that for a minute. God doesn't give me whatever gift I've got For my sake, he gives me that gift for your sake. Can you think about that for a moment? And ultimately, Karen, as you said it a moment ago, ultimately for God's sake, for the kingdom's sake, for his sake. But more specifically, often, the gift that I'm exercising, i got to realize that I'm exercising it in that moment, not for me, but for you. By the way, one of the things that I learned about the Holy Spirit years ago is how amazingly humble He is. He's just all the time drawing attention to the Son and to the Father. And the closer I get to Him, the more I'm going to be doing that too. I'm going to be building someone else up or helping someone else. That's kind of the idea. Now, verse 6 is another way, I think, of talking about there being one God. You can put the word one in the blank there, but look at 12.6. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works in all th- uh, works all things in all persons. I think about, and I put the reference back to uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 from the Old Testament, that every Jewish child quoted every day, several times a day. And the crux of it was the beginning of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That was so important that that set them apart from every other culture on the planet. That Moses and God wanted to be sure that they got it, that they repeated it, that they, he went as far as to say, teach it to your children and your children's children. God is one. His spirit and his, uh, God the Son uh, submits to the Father. The spirit brings glory to the Father and to the Son There's no hierarchy among the three of them. They are one. That's a uh, mysterious thing to us in some ways. But if you look, go on to verse 7 then, the idea of the exercise of these gifts is that they're to be exercised for the benefit of all. A-L-L. The word that's used by Paul, at least in my translation, is the words common good. You see that? It's given for the common good. What does that mean to you? That gifts are given for the common good? Chopi? 
for the building up in the body. That's Ephesians 4.11 begins to talk about that the manifestations of the Spirit are given for the, for the edification of the body of Christ. Okay? For the benefit of everyone. Now, I put some other references there that I hope you'll look at. Uh, it's for the common good. Uh, not just because I like to do this or I want to do this. Um, uh, not just because I like to teach or I want to teach. The, the, the benefits and the, and the gifts are given for the common good of everybody in the room, of everybody in the church. Now, he begins with a list, and I'm, I'm going to do all I can here in the, in the four or five minutes we got left to not even go down this road a whole lot because I don't think the point is what the gifts are. Verse 8 uh, begins a small list of spiritual gifts, and the word that goes in your next blank by the verse 8 is the word exhaustive. No list of the gifts in the, in the, in the uh, New Testament is exhaustive. I don't think any of them were intended to be exhaustive. I don't think, although I've seen this occasionally, I think um, uh, uh, there are some other lists. I think you can pull all the lists and kind of get them all on paper, and it's still not exhaustive, okay? I, I get to thinking about in our day, um, there are a lot of spiritual gifts that Paul would not even have dreamed of. I think of the people that work in the places where I work who have this, and, and by the way, we'll be benefactors today of people in this body who have amazing technical gifts that Paul had never dreamed about in AD 56, okay? There are some of you in this room that can do marvelous things with a computer or with a video camera or something that, that wasn't even thought about. I believe those things are equally given by God. So this list isn't considered, it doesn't need to be considered exhaustive. The one that I want to spend just a minute of time on is the one that's referenced in verse 5. It's the gift, it's called the spiritual gift of faith. All right? Now, it's going to be interesting here. Wisdom and knowledge are talked about there. Signs and prophecy and discernment and... Um, uh, then the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues, all those things are talked about here. But there's this one gift that's always been a little confusing to me. It's the gift of faith. Now, if I read Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 correctly, for it is by faith you are saved, uh, by grace you are saved through faith, none of us then come to Jesus except by faith, right? So, but then there's a gift here that's described. Is that confusing to you, kind of like it is to me? No, I'm glad, Joe. You're smarter than me. Aren't they, aren't they the prayer warriors that are holding everybody up? Uh, this is pretty good. Aren't they the prayer warriors? Now, what I think is being described here, and by the way, let me fill in your blanks so you'll get it. The faith exercised here is not the same as what I would call saving faith. Why am I saying that? Because we've all got to come to Jesus by saving faith. The faith that says, I trust in Jesus Christ and no longer on my good efforts. All right? But there are those, and there are many of you in this room, who I just believe God has given a, a special measure of faith, of trust. And frankly, when I'm going through something, it's those kind of people that I want praying for me. Because they're exercising enormous loads of faith that isn't internal. 
It's, again, a gift. Do these people seem more spiritual? Yep, sometime. But you know what? The Bible says, uh-uh. They're ex- exercising a gift that has come to them directly from the Holy Spirit. Now, spiritual gifts are given in a broad range of applications. There's a bunch of them here. You can kind of write down the list if you want to from these. But verse 11, again, I want to kind of capitalize on before we leave. Here's the point. There is one source for all of these. What is it? The Spirit of God. It's Him. And only He decides distribution. Only He decides who gets what and how they're used. It actually kind of takes the pressure off of me, doesn't it? Now, so I want to leave us with a thought here. What's the proof? Where's the proof that you are spiritual? Okay? I was sitting at Brahms at 63rd in May, 20-some years ago, working on uh, some curriculum for this church. And uh, a lot of times I'd go over there before Wednesday nights, before I was finishing up, and I'd kind of sit and eat a little bit. And and there was a little couple of ladies sitting a couple of tables over from me, and I just couldn't help but overhear some of the stuff they were talking about. And they were talking about a, a... a third person, a friend who was not in the room, and they were talking about how spiritual she was. Oh, she's very religious. She's just religious. And I'm thinking, I don't know that I want to be called religious. I do want you to be called spiritual. How can I know if I'm spiritual? What's the real proof that a person is spiritual? It's not the gift that I demonstrate. Can I tell you that? You and I both know that we've heard people that seem very gifted. And when you cut the, to the core of their lives, we found the core was kind of rotten, right? What is the proof of spirituality? It's the work that the Holy Spirit does in my life that's described in two verses in Galatians 5. You ready? Here, here's the description. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the barometer of spiritual life inside you. Can I tell you what else it's a barometer of? Doesn't it, when you read those nine fruit doesn't it sound just like Jesus? See, because here's my contention. If you want to know, be known as being spiritual, get to know Him. <laughs> get to know Him. The closer I get to Him, the more I kind of start looking like Him. And that's what I want. Spiritual fruit alive in your life will be the indicator that God has called you, that God is alive inside you in His Spirit, and He will remind you of your spiritual gift, how to use it, where and when. We're going to continue to talk about this subject. I hope this has helped you at all. Again, happy Mother's Day. I hope you have time to be with uh, some family and friends, and uh, I'll see you next week. God bless you.